okay, and welcome. Welcome back to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. And I have, I always say I have a special guest. Who am I supposed to have a not special guest? Okay, I have a special guest. Um, and this is going to be really interesting, maybe a little bit different, but, um, and I'll, I'll tell you why I have this person on after um, I let him introduce himself. He's actually a person I reached out to when I wanted to start this podcast because I knew nothing about what the heck. And, and one day we we had met and we were comparing microphones. Don't even go there with what all that was about. But <laughs> I mean, you know, we had these two. And anyway, I could go on. So Dan, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> sure. Thanks, Cares. Thanks so much for having me on. It is a pleasure to be here and to be with you. My name is Dan Gorenstein. I am the founder and executive editor of the Health Policy Podcast trade-offs. We're at the intersection of policy, money, and people. We started in 2019. We've done about 200 episodes, and I'm really happy to say, Karis, that we started as a podcast company, and we're really growing into a nonprofit media company. We've got a newsletter, we're doing live events, and we're, we're growing. And uh, the last thing I'll say is our, our team is all around the country. I'm based in Philly, and uh, it has been a true pleasure getting to know you as we've gone from event to event. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And you know, I, I met you when you were, it was first a podcast. And I don't know if you were just starting out then and I was at another organization or initiative that was just starting out, right? One of the things that um, I, I remember when we when we first talked was this idea of how did I need to think about what the heck I was doing with my podcast? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to do a podcast. I no, I didn't. I, I sort of had a an idea about it. And you were helping me think about like, how do you, um, you know, write about that idea, kind of who your audience is, all that kind of stuff. But we're not going to focus particularly on the field of podcasting, because I think that's a whole nother animal. But I'd really like to talk more about the craft of podcasting, right? Because I think, you know, what you do is is a craft. So you you started off as a journalist. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Start off as a journalist. So I went to college in, I went to a small liberal arts school in uh, Richmond, Indiana, a school called Earlham College. And um, I studied human development and social relations, which was an interdisciplinary major that combined sociology, anthropology, psychology, philosophy, biology, and education. And it was really like the study of people and systems. A lot of folks who I graduated with went on to become teachers or social workers. And I kind of ultimately gravitated to journalism because it was the intersection of storytelling and policy and writing. And I really, and I love, you know, Karis, you know this about me. I love to ask questions. I love to get to know people. And I wanted to find a way to get paid to do that. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. like at one point I was like, a, a buddy of mine asked me, he's like, what are you going to do? I was 26 years old. I'd been kind of graduated. I was sort of kicking around a little bit. And I was like, well, it's one of three things. I'm either going to be a therapist. I'm going to be a public radio reporter or I'm going to be a bartender. Cause I just felt like, you know, all, all those things have got that kind of like, Hey, let's talk. Let's really know each other. Let's figure things out. But I think what really, why journalism jumped over the other two was because there was a chance to try at least and impact 
policy and impact how people in our country got along. And something that has always motivated me is trying to figure out how to improve relations between people, particularly when there's animosity. Well, I'm I'm actually surprised you didn't say barber as one of those <laughs> options after that's like a people kind of yeah, like no, listen no, to no. people. You're, and, you're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I my hand my, my uh my physical dexterity I don't ha- I don't have it. I couldn't do it. You you would okay. not want. No one would want no. me to cut no. their hair. No, that does not sound like a good match. So when you kind of made this this decision to go into um, journalism. Let's fast forward a little bit. How did you how did you get into podcasting? Like how did that happen? Sure. So I've I've been working at the public radio business show Marketplace, which is a nationally syndicated show headquartered in LA in your backyard. And they'd wanted me to be their healthcare reporter right around when the time the Affordable Care Act had had come out. And so I I'd done that. But, you know, Marketplace is a short, you know, it's a half an hour show in, in, in the afternoons and eight minute show in the morning. And so there's just not a lot of real estate to kind of tell the sort of longer, more in-depth stories that I wanted to do. And after six years at Marketplace, I'd really kind of, I don't want to say I'd become an expert, but I became comfortable enough that I wanted to do longer, more meaningful stories. And I felt like, and this was 2017, 2018, I just felt like a podcast would potentially be a great vehicle to do the kind of reporting that I wanted to do, which was the intersection of policy, money, and people, as I said. So you can really like meet the people. You can really understand the problems. You can talk about the data. And, you know, I think when we talk about healthcare, health policy, mental health, substance use, it's so easy to reduce things, to reduce people, to reduce these issues into these sound bites. And I didn't want to do that, right? Like this stuff is too nuanced. It's too important to kind of just like boil it down. And so I wanted to try to create a news organization that would do justice to the complexity of the topics. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. I mean, this is a conversation we have often in the work of mental health advocacy is when it gets reduced to a soundbite, you know, you miss all of these complexities. And I don't know that the public much likes complex stuff. Again, not to be, you know, dinging on the public or saying the public is not sophisticated enough, but there are too many things going on. You know, how do they actually absorb everything? So I was I was actually thinking about when you're when you're kind of unpacking these stories, first of all, how are the topics selected? And then, you know, you're you're interweaving some really interesting stuff. And, you know, most people, when I talk to them about policy, if they're not policy wonks, they glaze over and it's kind of like, I have to switch the subject and, you know, talk about the Barbie movie or something. But so how do you, how do you make this engaging for people? Or is it a specific audience that you're really targeting? It's not like the big, bad, broad public. It's more you know, policymakers or system change agents, like our audience, our core, like the choir part of our audience, right? The core of the core. Yeah. They're, they're the people who care most in the country about health policy. They're the ones who have responsibilities. They may be clinicians, doctors, nurses. They, they might be industry executives. They work for hospitals, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, policymakers at the state level, the federal level, policy adjacent people, researchers, students, the people who find 
questions about Medicare and Medicaid and drug prices and hospital consolidation and equity issues important and resonant. They think about it even when they don't want to think about it. That's our core. But one of the things that was central to trade-offs when we launched it was creating content that could be accessible to anybody. And one of the things that I like to talk about, Karis, when I talk about our like origin story is me. I did not know the difference between Medicare, the program for older Americans, usually, and disabled Americans, and Medicaid, the program for low-income Americans. I knew they were both there, but I couldn't remember which was which. And today, I'm a guy who runs a health policy podcast. And so what I've learned from my own journey is if you can take someone like me to start to care about these issues, then anybody can. I know that. I know that. And so we try to create content that's super engaging and meaningful to people. And the way we do that, as a healthcare reporter at Marketplace, I came to understand that a lot of healthcare journalism either was so dead, it was smart, but it was so dense. It was hard to access. You couldn't really make heads or tails of it. Or it was these really compelling, break your heart stories, but of one person or one family. And so what I wanted to do with trade-offs and what I feel like we're doing is we find and take data and evidence and we find people's stories and we pair them together because you need to trust that the reporting is rigorous. Healthcare is really complicated. And so can I trust these people? And one of the ways you can, I think we engender trust with our audience is through the the rigor of our reporting that you can see. And we're talking about the evidence and the data. And so people get that. But then it's like, okay, why does this matter? What's the so what? How do how do how does this impact money? How does this impact people? And we're talking about those things. And and, and truthfully, the reason I became a journalist is because I just love people. And so my favorite thing is to get those human stories and make sure we're telling those human stories and putting it in that context of economics and policy. And together, I think you make a product that is attractive to that core, those health policy wonks, but also accessible to people who might have an interest in healthcare, but yeah. they can get it and they like it. We've, in the last couple of years, we've partnered with NPR One. They have an app called NPR One and they have promoted our stuff and we've seen our numbers explode. Our podcast mm. listen numbers explode. And that's proof to me that regular people are liking this. Yeah. Amazing. And now I'm going to ask about the the title trade-offs. What's being traded off? Yeah, so the so the name the name is really funny cuz some people like the name and they get it instantly and they love it or they're like what's up with this name? What does what does trade-offs even mean? And trade-offs really is sort of a philosophy and it stems from when i got schooled by a whole bunch of economists when i was working at marketplace and again you know i really didn't i was out of my depth when i started that job and i learned a lot on the job and i talked to a bunch of economists who took the time to teach me 
And what I learned from The Economist, and some people are going to be like, oh, well, damn, I'm never going to listen to your show. You're all about The Economist. And uh, that's fair. And I, I get that. I get that. But I think the thing that I personally liked about how economists thought about healthcare was less about right and wrong and more about what are we talking about? Let's be specific. Let's look at the evidence. Let's look at the data and let's try to understand what we're actually talking about. And the reality is whatever proposal you're making to try to improve something, there's going to be a cost. Nothing is perfect. No silver bullets, no panacea, always a downside. Well, what's the downside? How big of a deal is the debt? Do we care about the downside versus the upside? How do we think about this? And so these are the policy trade-offs. Yeah. And I feel like trade-offs beautifully captures how our team tries to report the news. Yeah. So I, I did, I was one of those geeky people who got it right away. <laughs> I know, I, <laughs> and I, 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 I know you, I know you were, I know you did. And, and actually, you know, I, I actually like this idea of there's always going to be a right or wrong. That's kind of the trade-off. It's either going to be right or it's going to be wrong. But there are other trade-offs that are happening that have nothing to do with right or wrong, as you're saying. And um, I've always been enamored, actually, by this idea. I didn't even know it was a field. I wish I wish I had of a um, health economist, because mm. because I think that's really such a powerful way to think about. Well, what are all of the different, um, like you said, like the the cost and other levers that are going on? That if you do this, you're going to have to trade off that over there, or oh wait, it, maybe I can do that over there, and maybe that will create the trade off over here. So I've uh, actually found that kind of very helpful framing in order to do advocacy. Just so you know, um, that's been a really helpful framing for me. So, um, how would you how would you describe the the difference in in our podcast? I think you've talked a little bit about you know how yours is framed, but I don't I don't know for the listeners are they you know would they be quite clear about how ours are really different? Uh, sure, I'll I'll do my best, and uh, would appreciate any anything you want to say here too. You have a what sometimes people in in podcast circles call a chat cast, you have conversations, you know, one-on-one conversations, a Q&A with your audience. And you're not just asking questions, you're offering, you're you're talking about yourself, you're talking about your experiences, your thoughts there too. And people really, I think, are able to form a relationship, a deep attachment to who you are and what is happening in that conversation. And there's a real kind of intimacy our podcast stems from the, this long tradition of public radio shows like Radio Lab and This American Life, where you're you have someone sort of narrating the story, and there are quotes from people, sometimes lots of people. There's music, there's sound effects. It feels, I think, in my mind, more like traditional audio journalism. We do do episodes. Not every episode is like that. We do do some episodes that are more Q&A. But I think with me as the host, as the primary host, I'm the I'm a little bit at a, a remove, right? Like I think I've got that like journalist kind of like a little bit of a distant step back. You're not step back. You're like you're t- you're you're on the line with the person you're interviewing and and people get to understand and see the world through your eyes. Whereas I think like, I don't want people to see the the world through Dan Gorenstein's eyes. I want mm-hmm. to try to present a set of facts and anecdotes to help people kind of for themselves 
get their arms around the complicated. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree about sort of the, the, the differences between the two. And I'll add one other di- difference. You're paid. <laughs> <laughs> you damn right I am. You yeah, damn right I am. Skippy. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> yes. 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 And, and, you you know, you have a whole outfit and, you know, I got, I got like Garrett. Hey, Garrett. <laughs> no, there's only so much I could do out of my own pocket. Garrett needs to be paid. I make sure Garrett gets paid. Just for your audience, Garrett, your producer. Yes, Garrett is the producer. Sometimes people will hear me say, and my producer says that would be Garrett. And, you know, one time we did something and I was like, yeah, I, I do want some sound effects. He goes, oh, I love sound effects. And I'm thinking, I'll bet you do. Um, <laughs> you know, I cannot figure out, like, I, I would love to do more where we could have little fun sound effects, but then I don't want it to be all my podcast in particular, because it is conversational. It's chit chatty that I think if we put too many sound effects in there, it's going to sound sort of like not quite right. You know what I mean? You know, well, I guess, I I, I don't know. I guess what I would say is like, the, the what I, what I'll say is what I've learned, which is it's fun to experiment. It's fun to take risks and it's fun to be creative. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Like, it's your show. Yeah. It's your show. True. And you and Garrett together can say, you know what? We're going to try it this week. And yeah. the worst that can happen is you get a couple people being like, what was that? <laughs> like, but, but the thing is, even when they're like, what was that? You know, they're listening and That's that is true. good. And so I feel like for me, and we've taught you and I've talked about this in terms of you, this is part of, I mean, you're one of the more creative people I know, but this is part of your creative outlet. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm, I'm not sure why you would limit yourself to be honest. You know, the, it's interesting. If we can find out what a um, unicorn sounds like, I think I know. I, I know what unicorn poo sounds like. It's sort of tinkly, like, you know, like a fairy dust sound. Um, maybe every once okay. in a while we, we can okay. we can drop a unicorn sound in when appropriate. Well, we'll see. We'll come up with something. To wait, so wait, so you're saying like that will be like the poo sound? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We're not pooing on people, but we'll find a fun sort of whatever a unicorn sounds like i'm i'm excited i'm excited <laughs> to hear this uh that might be for the for the audience if you if you have ideas of sound effects we should be using you know kind of engage with us and let us know <laughs> uh, maybe there'll be some prizes oh there could be i have actually ubu stickers and lapel pins and so if people want to give it a try and tell me what kind of sounds we should have for a unicorn you might get yourself a UBU sticker. I have never done that before. What is happening? See, this is what happens, Dan. We cannot be together in the same room on Zoom. We just can't. Why? This is your brainstorm. This is great. This is amazing. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sitting over here. Like I'm just glowing. I'm so excited. Like listen to you. It's, it's incredible. You're yeah. so infectious, and like your energy is infectious, and, and and you really, you really want people to connect. Yeah, and care. I do. It's, it's so amazing. Important. But but also you, you're you're a person who's able to just like kind of go and start running yeah little little shy me everybody you know people think i'm very um i I guess i am effervescent that might be a word i could use for myself um (laughs) but because of that effervescentness people think that i'm very outgoing and kind of the life of the party no i am the wallflower very shy very awkward socially awkward so uh if if you do meet me in person and you see that version of me don't be surprised. So um, I'll come out of my shell eventually, but you know, um, just so you all know. All right. And I have met some people who um, somebody heard my voice and said, your voice sounds really, oh my God, you're unapologetically black unicorns. And I was like, "Uh, yeah. 
And of course, you know, then I got all shy and weird. It was just, it was bizarre world. Sign this for me. And I'm like, oh my God, she's asking for an autograph. <laughs> it was so weird. It was so cool, but so weird at the same time. <laughs> okay. So, um, but, um, and, and, you know, the, the cool thing about podcasting too, and I think something that um, I, I will say I appreciate about you, Dan, is that, and, and this is harder for other people, and I'll, I'll just be honest about it, is, you know, you've reached out and you said, oh, can we interview you for this or talk to you about this particular topic? So there isn't any competition, right? There's no competition. There's kind of camaraderie and collegialness and collaboration. And and I have sometimes, you know, asked people to be on my podcast and they'll, they'll say yes. <laughs> they'll receive my materials, not be on my podcast, and literally a month later start their own podcast. I'm like, oh, uh, okay. Um, imitation is the best form of flattery, says my there you father. Go. There you go. So I will take mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. then I will say, well, you know, we should probably figure out how to be on each other's podcasts. That's how you can actually get the word out there. And, and many of these are mental health podcasts, so it makes sense, right? Uh-huh, right? So I'll invite them to be a guest on the podcast so that we can also promote their podcast. And that doesn't resonate with them. <laughs> It's kind of like, why would I do that? Why would I be on your podcast? That's going to benefit you. And I'm like, well, no, it's going to be- benefit you too, because you get to put it out there and I get to put it out that I was on, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, but we have not had that issue of which I am so appreciative. No, oh, no, no, we haven't had that issue at all. And, yeah. you know, it's been great to talk to you when we've talked to you on our podcast, because, uh, you know, as, as your audience knows, you've got real world experience from multiple channels, you know, as, as a human being, as a, as a mental health patient, as somebody who has been at running policy, like you have as somebody who's been an advocate, as somebody who's been in philanthropy, you really have seen mental health and substance use issues from multiple vantage points. And there's such value in talking to somebody who's that got that kind of diversity of experience. And you're a woman of color, you know, this is very important. And and, and as you know, Karis, I mean, many people ask you to come and talk because of that diversity of experience and because you are a woman of color and because it is hard to understand. There are not that many people who have the kind of platform you do. Yeah. And, you know, you take advantage of it. That was actually sort of the point of the podcast, right? For unapologetically Black unicorns is, you know, to lift up the voices of other people that I know who are primarily people of color, people with lived experience, or people who are underrepresented in the field of uh, mental health and or substance use, whether it be psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, things like that, to be able to have a voice here so people could know that, you know, we're not really that rare. This idea of unicorn is like, oh, where are they? Who are they? What? Like, we don't even know what they sound like. Oh, come to my podcast. Thanks. They sound like people's voices is what they sound like, I guess. <laughs> but, um, and then you yeah. did ask me, you're like, well, uh, can I be on your podcast? I'm, I'm not black. And I'm like, oh, okay, here I go again with what is a black unicorn. So, um, you know, the, the, the title of course has a double entendre as far as black unicorn, of course, black unicorn, meaning lifting up people of color primarily, but also black unicorns because they're um, a little bit different than white or rainbow unicorns. 
as if these things are even real. I don't believe I'm talking about this, but let's go there. <laughs> but anyway, you know, so 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 white white unicorns are supposed to be very ethereal. You know, they always have like they're always you know floating in the the mist with uh, you know all this mist and clouds around them and kind of like floating around in sort of this mystical way. And and black unicorns are like, damn it, I got to get this stuff done, and I'm gonna get it done, and I'm gonna be like doing this with a like vengeance. I'm not gonna let it down. I'm persistent. I'm passionate that's a black unicorn so that's why it has sort of this double entendre because i feel like you know people who are doing mental health advocacy work are unapologetic and they're unapologetically black unicorns that's where it comes from and you are an unapologetically black unicorn and so i asked you about like mental health advocacy and um how you became an advocate for mental health because you could cover lots of stuff in health policy people do and many times they leave out mental health. I don't ask me how they do that, but they do. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, right. And, and you know, I'm I'm a journalist. I'm not an advocate. And I I um I don't believe it's appropriate for me to be an advocate to advocate for a position. I feel like it's important for me to share information and help other people make decisions about that information. But it's not for me to tell them how to think or what needs to be done. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of how I really look at this. But, you know, you ask about mental health. It's very clear in my mind, if you're going to be a healthcare journalist, that's not just about pills and doctors and cancer and Medicare that's about substance use. It's about addiction. It's about poverty. It's about hunger. It's about gun violence. It's certainly about mental health. There's no doubt it's central and core to how I think about this beat that we cover. The stuff that's kind of outside of the sort of most traditional of what you'd think of when you think of healthcare, I take that stuff real serious. I really care about those stories because I feel like that's where people become invisible easily yeah. Yeah. and i'm not i'm not cool i don't i don't like that and part of why i want to be a journalist is because i want to make sure people know yeah what what do i say snaps claps thumbs up the whole nine yards because that's really powerful what you just said and um you know i was thinking about the series that you i would say recently did it was in july july august around 988 because it's the anniversary of 988 can you just share a little bit about that series? We'll we'll we'll, we'll uh, make sure to link it, but um, can oh, you sure. talk a little yes. bit about that? Sure. So you know, we we did a um, in the year run up to the launch of nine eight eight, which was like July of twenty twenty two. We did a three part series spread out over a couple of months, and we just sort of tried to talk about like the challenges and the opportunities of nine eight eight. This new mental health crisis line that was replacing the the suicide prevention lifeline. And we really focused on a lot of the workforce challenges, a lot of the funding challenges to try to get this whole thing up off the ground. And then this summer, we celebrate, we commemorated the one year anniversary of 988 by doing a kind of 988 by the numbers. And we looked at a couple of things. We looked at the this huge explosion in texting because of 988. I mean, it's that's astounding. We focused in on some of the the challenges and opportunities for LGBTQ plus in and around 988. 
And we continued to talk about sort of some of these basic structural things where, you know, even if there is 988, even if there is a mobile crisis team to respond, where are people going to go? Are there real services for people? Are there not services? And what role does the, is law enforcement playing in this? And how do teams create, how do you have these mobile teams be safe for themselves and for the people that they're trying to care for? And I'll, I'll say this, Karis, we're really excited. So that's what we've done. But what we're going to do is we're we're going to launch a series. It's going to be like a standalone, I think it'll be a three-part series, and it's going to focus on crisis response and looking at one community and how this community tries to stand up in real time crisis response, an alternative to law enforcement for people with dealing with mental health or substance use, behavioral health crises. What does that look like? Yeah. How do you do it? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? Because when you do this sort of work, and I know you know this better than almost anybody, if communities around our country can begin to create meaningful systems of response, lives will be saved. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for saying that because, you know, when we sometimes have conversations about you know, supporting people who have been unhoused, who have um, mental health conditions, who may not believe they have a mental health condition or are not accepting of services and the like. One of the things that, you know, comes up is, I'll just be blunt about it, you know, if we use coercion, that will be safe. Um, this is to keep people safe, you know, get them off the street, keep them safe. And, and even in 988 and 911, you know, the, the intersection of the two, it's about safety. And, I have to ask myself the flip side of that when are people not safe when those things are used and and what does that look like and for for many people many people it looks like death so i have a hard time saying that it's safe we have to say it's safe and it can also be unsafe for people the person who's supposedly going to be helped so i was um actually looking at the um washington um post tracking of police killings. And it's very interesting to me that there are about maybe, and again, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, so I apologize, but there there may be seven or so filters you can search on, maybe up to 10. And one of them is mental health. Out of all the things you can search on, there no you're not searching on cancer, you're not searching on diabetes or pregnancy or but you're you're not, I don't even think they have a search for substance use. I think it's mental health. And that was striking to me that out of all the things they could pick, you know, age, race, state, you know, that kind of thing, mental health was in there. And so when I searched on mental health, it was about 20 and they, and this is from 20, oh man, now I can't even remember the the years. I want to say, I, I don't remember the years, but it's too current, whatever the year it started, 2012, 2014, I don't remember. But at the end of the day, it's 20% of police killings are, are people who are in mental health crisis whom the police are called to help. So that's when I get worried about, well, that's a lot of people. That, that is 20%. That's, that's, that's a lot. And then when you look at the raw numbers, it's a lot of people. And I ask myself, how do you tell those families that what was happening was safe? So again, there, there's a trade-off for me <laughs> around, you know, how do we have these conversations about and lift it up to what are the other things that we could be doing in order to 
create as much safety as possible. I think it'll always be traumatizing. So we have to also um, work with people on the trauma they experience during that time. But but the thing that that gets me is that either in the course of getting somebody into care when they're in crisis, death can occur. And also death can occur when they're in a particular setting, supposedly getting help. I don't have the numbers on that, but that could happen too. So I don't know. I just went down a really dark road there. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's see if no, I can look that. Yeah. Yeah. No, in, in preparation for, for this interview, uh, I was just looking back to some of our 988 coverage and there's a, a sentence in our story that says, federal statistics show more than 14 million adults in the U.S. had a serious mental illness in 2021 and 12.3 million people seriously considered suicide. And it just speaks to how widespread the need is. There's so much demand for help. And the help that is available, as you're pointing out, can often be inadequate or non-existent. And even if somebody is getting quote unquote help, sometimes that help can hurt. Yes, very much so. So um, that's why, you know, having these conversations and lifting up the tough stuff is so critically important. We can't hide it under a rug or pretend it didn't happen. Um, but that's um, where our show, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That's exactly where our shows are the same. Yeah. We both want to lift up the tough stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is a weird place to wrap it up. It feels like almost all of a sudden, like, or it's perfect, though. It's perfect <laughs> yeah. because I think, like, at the end, I mean, you and I, we've laughed, we've laughed a little bit in this conversation, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, lifting up the tough stuff seems like a perfect point to end yeah. this on because that's what we're both trying to do. And maybe going back to the name of your show, like, maybe that's what the black unicorns do. Yeah. Yeah. Lift up we the do. Tough stuff. We do. It's tough stuff. So what I do when we're wrapping up is I ask our guest to do that lovely wisdom dropping. That's the only place we drop we drop things. <laughs> I was going to say something else. I was like, don't go there, Paris. So we're going to do some wisdom dropping and um, that is on you. So it's a time if there's something that you wanted to add that you didn't get to talk about or if there's some advice that you have for our listeners or yeah, it's just a place to drop some of you know Dan's wisdom. Thanks, Karis. There are two things. The first is anybody who wants to, we, we'd love, we're always looking to grow our audience. If you want to check out our work, please go to tradeoffs.org slash subscribe. And I don't know if I have any wisdom, but I will tell you about this, something that I've been trying to do the better part of this year. And that is trying to be honest with myself. I really have come to see how hard of a harsh of a critic I've been to myself, against myself. And I've been wrestling with trying to understand why I can be so hard on myself and so loving towards so many other people. And I think a lot of us are really loving towards other people. And I think a lot of us are our own hardest critics. And I just wonder, what would this world look like if more of us were a little more loving to ourselves? Yeah, that's mad wisdom right there. Yeah, I think that's actually such a common human experience. So thank you so much for you know sharing that and 
helping us think through not to be so critical of our own selves and really appreciate that we were able to spend this time together on the podcast. So thank you for being a guest. Harris, it has been my absolute honor. Rarely have I been interviewed and enjoyed this as much as I have with you. And it really is a credit to that big brain of yours, but your heart is so much bigger than your brain. And it's amazing. I feel very lucky. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. And uh, more to come. We could talk. We can continue to talk, which we aren't, but we're done. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we're done, Dan. We're done. But <laughs> all right. So um, hey, uh, for all the listeners, you know, you know, remember to do a couple of things. You know, like, subscribe, comment. That's from the producer. The most important thing for me, however, that I would love you to do is to share and share this podcast with others who would love to hear this information and the wisdom dropping from um, Dan. And that is all I need you to do until I see you next time on Unapologetically Black Unicorns.